Some well-known brands get a facelift. This is the Focus Group. It's the savvy side of 9 to 5. Listen. Bueller. 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 Laugh. <laughs> and learn. Negotiation. This is what you do in business. This is the Focus Group with Tim Bennett. S-T-A-U-N-C-H. And John Nash. Keep your clothes looking neat and clean. We're all business. Except when we're not. Hey, welcome to The Focus Group. John Nash here with my good friend and co-host, Tim Bennett. Find us here every Wednesday live on YouTube or Facebook from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And of course, check out our Tuesday podcast, Unbuttoned, available on Tuesdays. Also available at (laughs) at focusgroupradio.com. So there you go. Welcome to... Available on Tuesday. Check Tuesday out our Tuesday podcast, podcast available on Thursdays. Yeah, on Thursdays too. If you, yeah, pretty much available any day. Get our Tuesday podcast any day. <laughs> I like the opening, John. You're getting much better. Yeah, I, I hope did. you're not so. You, you, I think there was always tension with you trying to get what the opening line was going to be, but now, see, isn't it more relaxed? Well, yeah. You, Tim gave me the uh, ultimate feedback on that. He goes, "You overthink it. You can't think that one. You you just simplify it. You can't overthink this stuff." So there you go. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was very good. Very good. So how are you doing, Mr. Nash? Doing good. Good. Doing good. We've been in town for a while. Um, Bob's been working from home, and uh, he's enjoying it, kind of. I mean, he's glad he's working, but um, I said to him, hey, this is your next nine months, and he just said, you know, when they open that office and we can officially go back, I'm the first one in. And I wonder how many people feel that way, actually. I mean, I, you know, you get this kind of weird feedback on that you get people like well you know it's the new norm and maybe it's going to be blended but i i know a lot of people who really want to go back to the office do you yes and particularly people that live in cities that don't have lots of room so for instance if you if you have a big house in the suburbs and you have a den that never gets used or you have a living room that never gets used or you have a dining room that never gets used it's easy for a big house like that to convert it into a space for your for your office but if you're living in a home that's of modest size, which most people have, or an apartment in one of the big cities where you just don't, you know, um, room is of a premium, uh, it's difficult because you end up, it might be the kitchen counter that's your office. It might be the sofa and your coffee table. It might be your the place where you eat every day. And um, then it is difficult, I think. And uh, I, I know I always had, when I've worked out, and I've worked from home, got even way back in the early 90s when I was at Subaru, I'd rented an apartment that specifically had a little loft that most people would have used for nothing. I don't even know what it was for, but it was perfect for me to set up as an office. And I would walk up three steps and that was my office and that was it. And I'd walk down and I never used it for anything else. And you have your own little office in in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Which is perfect. But if you didn't, you two, how could you two possibly work together in the apartment? You'd both be at the, at the dining table, right? You would do it. We have like a, a counter in the kitchen that would, would be perfectly suitable for it, and you'd figure it out. But it, it wouldn't be, I don't know if it's as conducive to getting a lot done as, you know, just being in an office and and the random stuff of people saying, hey, how you doing today, you know? Well, there's no chatter. So my guess is probably the eight-hour day, you probably get everything done in two and a half, three hours, minus all the chatter and the nonsense in the meetings, right? So yeah. <laughs> that's why people have been more efficient, I guess. What did you do this weekend? You know, then it's lunchtime. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
So on today's show, um, later on, we have a shop talk that um, is going to look at three topics, actually. A couple of brands are changing their packaging. And I would you call the, the packaging um, icon or mascot-based? I'm not sure what the word I would use is, but they're you know familiar faces that are being changed. And then we have an article about Wells Fargo as well and a comment a CEO made that got a great deal of pushback. Yeah, and I, I <laughs> well, we'll, we'll leave it we'll at save, that. We'll save the chatter for that. We'll yeah. save that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, moving right along, what caught your eye this week? What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. So this week, I found this uh, article. I was reading along on Facebook, and and um, so everybody knows the ubiquitous uh, Village People song YMCA. Mm-hmm. It's pl- it's played at every wedding, probably every birthday party, every celebration. And Donald Trump has been using it now as he walks into uh, to his stadiums for his rallies. And uh, lots of people were complaining to um, to Felipe. You remember Felipe Rose? Well, he used to do that, that, right, that, that strange people. call, right? Yeah. Right. And there's there's been lots of changes in terms of people that have been part of the village people group. And, and one of the consistents or one of the constants has been Felipe. So a lot of people will send him messages saying, you need to not – Tell Donald Trump to use your song. You need to. And he gets very upset about it. And he posts on social media. I don't own the song as long as he gets rights to use the song. You know, we can't tell him he can't use the song sort of thing. So there's that sidebar about it. And then the other issue about it is now the front man who has taken control over the group and the original police, the original officer, the African-American front man, the, the original uh, black cop, um, he is now saying that he's going to sue anybody in the media that says that the YMCA song is about gay or gay sex. <laughs> so in the Navy, you can sail the seven seas. Yeah. Any songs. <laughs> anyway, allegedly. <laughs> so Victor okay. Willis. So he's Victor. So Victor Willis, the, uh, as I said, the sexy cop with a heck of a nightstick. You could tell this came out of out magazine. Um, he said he laid down the law about the meaning of the lyrics. And uh, he's claiming it has nothing to do with hot guys hooking up at the Young Men's Christian Association of the YMCA. And Willis says, I will sue the next media organization or anyone else that falsely suggests YMCA is somehow about gay sex. Willis warned via his Facebook, adding, get your mind out of the gutter, please. Well, so apparently same sex. uh, Was he the original? Like he's the original, original original cop. Right. And he still is a rights hold like he. So he. Yeah, there's been there's been lots of legality in the last couple of years. Uh, he kind of let he left the group. They were there was a new person brought in. You know, the group has had many cowboys and leathermen and so forth over the years. Yeah, that's, that's like a said, rotating Felipe, cast, right? Right. There's been a rotating cast is a good way. He's come back and claimed ownership and he's the rightful owner of of more than 30 songs that he's written in, in the group. So he said that. um he says he's wrote, he's written 100% of the lyrics, and I ought to know what my song is about. So he, he said that uh, you can hang out with all the boys was a term about me and my friends playing basketball at the Y. Although he says he wrote the song to, a, it, even though he wrote the song, can apply to anyone's lifestyle, which we all know is, you know, gays on a lifestyle. The lyrics were written, <laughs> written by me as an expression of urban youth having fun at the YMCA. <laughs> And then it goes on to say, Willis also helped write over 30 songs performed by the group, including Smash It's Macho Man and In the Navy. Again, nothing to do 
with anything, I guess, other than just having fun. He said, um, YMCA has become an official anthem for many within the uh, LGBTQ community uh, since it was first released in 78. And it's also has wider audience appeal. As I said, it's ubiquitous everywhere. And then prior to this, <clears throat> he got upset because when the Olympics happened in Russia and Russia was having lots of anti-gay um Lots of anti-gay, uh, not sentiment, but the Putin's government crackdown, right? Yeah. They wanted the U.S. team. You were able to pick a song to walk into. And the Olympic athletes, the USA Olympic athletes wanted to use YMCA to walk into the to the stadium in Sochi. And uh, Willis wouldn't have it. He said, no, he didn't want them to do that. This song isn't about protest. And uh, the fact that gay people like the song is okay, but I don't want them using it for that. And I don't want it to be part of a protest. So, okay. okay. <laughs> this is kind of, you know, I'm intrigued. So I, I don't know what to think about it. I mean, I, I laugh because I think people, I don't think people assumed. I just think that there was a certain, the disco era, the way the guys were dressed, the village people was right. The East village or West village mm-hmm. to represent. And there were sexual male or there were male stereotypes, the cowboy, the construction worker, the cop, you know, the Indian, and I remember um, our rowing coach grew up, Brian and I, rowing coach grew, up, coach grew up in this area. And he bought a new car and he was very proud of it. And, you know, straight guy, doesn't know better, goes to the, goes to the auto parts store and buys a rainbow sticker because he thought it looked good and it matched the paint. So he puts this rainbow sticker on the back of his car. And he wants to tell Brian and I, he's going to take us to breakfast. He goes, meet me out front. He was very proud. We go in a shower. We come out. He's got all his windows open. Windows down, car is blaring in the Navy. And then he's playing, he's playing the village people music. And Brian and I see the sticker. We're like, oh, my God, is he coming out to us? Like, what's going on here? You just bought this car. So we get in the car and he, he, he turns down the radio. He goes, you know, these boys got a bad rap. <laughs> so we said, coach, you know, your car is really nice. But um, where'd you get that sticker? He goes, isn't that great? I saw that at the, the Pep Boys Auto Store. I thought it was really cool. We're like, well, coach, you know, that's a symbol for the gay. Ke- what? You know, he's an older guy. So um, the sticker came off the car, but he just thought it looked nice against his the paint color of his car, the maroon with the rainbow sticker. And meanwhile, he's blaring the village people. Now, straight guy, I guess you could say. You know, yeah, we were stereotyping, but mm-hmm. have you always thought the village people to be? Yeah, I I, I, it, I never even gave it a second thought that it could be any other way other than I was being signaled clearly in terms of how they chose their people, the ripped t-shirt construction worker or the leather guy. I mean, you know, it was, yeah, it was the flesh, the dance, the music and the the disco, the macho man in the Navy, YMCA. And I love the, what was it? Can't stop the music. I love, you know, Bruce Jenner's in there. I mean, you can't be any more inclusive. Has anybody actually watched that movie lately? That is a, that is a once a decade viewing that you need to see you need to see it because there are some mummers in there that you're like okay so i i I guess i kind of buy this but not really i mean it sounds like you know revisionist history it's not about why it's not about what you think it is but it is (laughs) right or or yeah i i you know if it was just this one song i would think um, I would buy the explanation. First of all, just ignore it. I would just have ignored it. I wouldn't have made such a big deal about it. Who cares? You're selling records. You're still getting money off it. Yeah. But if you didn't have a body of work that also included Macho Man and in the Navy. <laughs> but I'm bummed. Right. 
<laughs> there you have it. So what caught your, what caught your eye? Mine is a bit of silliness, actually, and um, which I I find appropriate for the the last couple of weeks we've been in. It's just like the drumbeat of the elections, and uh, you know all this other stuff going on. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, Bob Bob was suddenly reminded of a show he watched as a kid, and and the show featured chimpanzees that were dressed up as people. Oh no. And they were actors, and um, they would just move their mouths, and voices would come out. And they actually gave the chimps bubble gum to do this. So I said, "What was the name of the show?" <laughs> and he, and, yeah, and he said the name of the show was Lancelot Link Secret Chimp. Now, do you remember this at all? I do remember it being very creepy, <laughs> and. This is, it's so right up Bob's alley, right? This kind of avant-garde left sort of thing. But yeah, I. So in the world we live in now, you can search for anything, right? So we go to YouTube and I put in Lance Link, Secret Chimp, and up comes tons of episodes. And Bob said, I have a very specific memory of the chimps, of the chimps being at a ski resort somewhere and they're on toboggans and they're skiing and there's a woman (laughs) So we find this, there's a big lead in, there's all these characters, there's a guy called the Baron, who's the, the villain, there's a woman called the Duchess, and the Duchess, um, she's part of this like crime syndicate, and um, so we watched it, I could not stop laughing, and then the snow stuff came, and Bob's like, oh my god, this is the stuff I remember from being a kid, so I pulled a little clip. When was it, when was it done? Um, I'm going to tell you right now, Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp. Yeah, it was late 60s. I think it might have been 70, 69 or 71. In a world inhabited by chimps instead of humans, Lancelot Link, along with partner Mata Hari, (laughs) is one of the top agents of the Agency to Prevent Evil, APE, A-P-E, Agency to Prevent Evil, a secret organization led by Commander Darwin. That protects the world from wrongdoers. Their chief nemesis is Baron Von Butcher, who leads the criminal oh headquarters God. for Underworld Master Plan. Criminal headquarters for Underworld Master Plan. Chump, an evil league bent on world conquest. <laughs> so all of you, oh, it's all set up for, for perfection, perfection. So here's a little clip for us that I think you're going to get a kick out of. All right, what did you find out at the ski lodge, Marta? I listened at the window and heard something important. Yeah? What is it? The Duchess is looking for a ski instructor. You'll have to pose as him so you can watch her. Fine. Except for one thing. What's that, Lancelot? I can't ski. What'll we do? I'll have to learn something about skiing. Starting with the ski mask here. Huh. Where'd everyone go? I... So, <laughs> Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp. I encourage you to check it out. I mean, this is the age of television, I think, where you and I remember like um, Lidsville, Sigmund, and this is before Sigmund H. and Seagull. Uh, this is before that. But then we found a documentary on YouTube called I Made Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp. And the guys explained how they did this. And they there was a... These these monkeys uh, were pets or trained, and they you know would dress them up and they give them chewing gum and sit them on the stage. <laughs> there's even a part of the uh, part of the show where they go to a club and there's a band of chimpanzees playing and there's psychedelic flowers and you know and it, it's like watching watching the Partridge Family or something like that. It it so silly yes, um, 
but that's what caught my eye, and I, I, I just love this old stuff. I don't know if you could edit. Peter, Peter must, Peter, Peter would go crazy with this now, right? I mean, you would not be able to do anything like this now, could you? I, we actually brought that up, and I was gonna, I was gonna say myself uh, for this that Peter would have a, their heads would explode. I mean, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're dressing them up as people. You know, you can't. I mean, but they showed behind the scenes stuff, and the chimps clearly were not being mishandled, or, or they, they, they were just. Doing their thing, you know, and after they would leave the set, they would go play and they'd get their costumes off. And I just, someone sold that to a network, Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp. You know, we need our, we need to program our own network. We, we should get a network of, uh, you know, you and I have often been critical of, of what they used to do over at Logo or not do not over do, at Logo. Not but do, yeah. We, we, we should program our own network. We'll feature some of these uh, old things that just, We'll never see the light of day again. I wonder if it's copyright issues because I, I don't, you know, I remember this now that you bring it up, but I've never seen it probably in what, 40 years? Possibly, but, years. but you and I watched similar TV growing up. I mean, we had some different channels because of the before cable, but I don't really remember this. This, this was, I couldn't stop laughing at Bob. You know, when that snow, when there's more of the snow stuff, they do skiing, there's a chase scene, there's a snowball fight, and the diamond's in one of the snowballs. And then the, the Lancelot Link guy has this ray gun that slows people down. And he slows down the, the villains by shooting them. And then they're like, Lancelot, we're going to get you. But the, they must have given the chimps less chewing gum or something because their mouths are moving differently. And we watched a couple episodes, and it would truly transport us away from the day's headlines. I'll tell you that much. I was gonna say you forget Ratchet and some of the other things. John's got Lancelot it's not Link. Link, secret chimp. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder what's going on there at, at your house. Now we know. Well, thank you for bringing that up. That was a, a good trip down memory lane and lighthearted. Yes, yes, very much so. All right, very so now so. we got uh, business birthday. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. So it rarely happens, but uh, today, September 30th, is uh, John T. Nash's birthday. <laughs> Mr. John Nash, my, my partner in crime here. And usually when we've done these things in studio, it's a couple of days before, a couple of days after. And, and uh, I wanted to send John some food or something, but I couldn't, uh, didn't know exactly where he might be. So... I found these socks with little sharks on them. So Sharky the Shark Socks. Many of you know that we work with uh, Deep Sharky. Discount. And John, John is our, uh, our uh, character of Sharky the Arr, Shark. So I got him these Sharky the Shark Socks from J. Crew. So I hope you, I hope you enjoy those. I, um, they arrived just in time. Just in time. The other thing I did is I went through. So for many years, I would do this whole list and rambling thing of John's accomplishments and where he was born and what he did. And in one of them from 2000, I think this is 2012, I had asked your mom a question about you. And I, so of all the different, different um, narratives that I did over the years for your birthdays for the last 12 or 13 years, I found one paragraph that I just thought was really sweet. And I thought, again, for this time, it made, it made a lot of sense. So it says, um, I asked this question of your mom when she was a guest on the show. I said, how was John growing up? Or how do, how was John different? Or what did what was was John a challenge growing up? And your mom Carol said that um, she said as a child he was unique and defiant in many ways. <laughs> and then she and then she paused and then she said I never thought much about it, 
other than just John was John. He was my son and I love him. And I just thought that was encapsulated a lot of who you are, that you were, you know, you were unique and you were defiant <laughs> in mm. many ways. And, uh, but the fact is that at the end of the day, you were loved and your mom loved you. And I just thought that was of all the things I could have picked out from all the years of things I'd written and try to make them different. I thought that one stuck out the most. So I wanted to share that. <laughs> you should have added that I was a terrible student, <laughs> like, especially in mathematics, but she, she didn't go well, there. <laughs> well, I said, I did have on here. One of them, one, another one I pulled, John learned the fine art of education outside of the classroom by learning he could make money selling his homework. <laughs> that was my favorite because she discovered that when she was dusting a bookshelf <laughs> and she pulled out some of my Hardy Boy books and money fell out of the books because that's where I would, that was my bank. I would hide the money in different Hardy Boy books. <laughs> and, and then it was a wait till your father gets home moment. Now I put up here two pictures that you saw a little bit earlier. One of, I think I'm four years old on the left with a little suit and tie on and that hair. And on the right, you know, a businessman is a businessman, right? My sister and I set up a lemonade stand. And Bob and I were recently at this corner. Um, this is, is our. Is that your sister, Lisa? That's Lisa with the little tiara on. I guess the tiara was to <laughs> entice people to, to buy lemonade, right? So um, this, this house is in Grove, Grove Avenue in Glens Falls, New York. And when Bob and I went up to see the Star Trek uh, exhibit up in Ticonderoga, where they rebuilt the Desi Lucets. On the way down from Ticonderoga, we went right through Glens Falls. We had lunch there, and, we, and my mom had sent me a picture of our old house, which I should have put in here. We found it. Um, the neighborhood doesn't look quite like this anymore. <laughs> I'll just say that. It's a little a little spotty. But yeah, that's the... Uh, Do you remember making any money at the lemonade stand? I don't even remember doing this. This is one of those things where you know your parents show you a photo album, and you're like, I guess we did this. I have no memory of this. But look at me, saucy with that little hand on the... On the, on the well, head. I love your sister's got the robe on, or the apron on. And then, uh, and if you're watching, I love the fact that you even had three sizes of lemonade. You had small, medium, and large. large. You had a yellow <laughs> cup, a blue cup, the green cup. <laughs> I wonder what you charged. It was probably a nickel, a penny, a nickel, a dime. <laughs> I'm sure whatever it was... My mom was losing money. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Although the last time this came up and I brought up the Glens Falls to my mom, I got quite a um, quite a, a memory lane story from her. She's like, oh, you were mom's little helper when we lived in Glens Falls because I was two, three years old, two, almost a little over two, and Laura was about three or four months, my youngest sister. And apparently my mom had had arm surgery and she couldn't move her right arm and she would rely on my memory to run around the house. She'd be like, could you please get mommy this following thing? And it's in the kitchen. It's over here. And I would run around and get it all. And she said to me on the phone, she goes, you know, you were a lifesaver. And I, she goes, I doubt you remember any of it. I'm like, nope, not a thing. Because, you know, think, what was your earliest memory, actually? Yeah, I tried to think about that the other day. Because I, I have friends that say, oh, I remember at six months old. You remember nothing six months old. Do you remember anything at six months old? Mm-mm, no. I had no. a friend that swears he does, and and I just think he's full of nonsense. But the uh, I, I I have a memory of being dropped off at kindergarten, and um, my mom making a big deal about you know kind of pushing me in the door, and uh, sending me on my way. But uh, beyond that, and I oh I also have a memory about me getting in trouble <laughs> with with uh, picking strawberries and having I, I got in a neighbor's strawberry patch and we lived on a little little farm. And I was in there with my little footprints, stepped all over the plants, made a big mess, and had <laughs> the seeds and the juice all over my face. And my mother, were you in? Were you in? You know, Mister Whatever's Ridgeways, strawberry? No, 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 strawberries all over your fingers. So I remember that, but 
I don't know why I remember that. That's my earliest memory, I think. Yeah, I have so. a bunch, and they're all random. They, they, there's no rhyme or reason. Like, I'll remember Boy Scout camp the first time I launched an SD's rocket. I'll remember middle school. I remember, well, I do remember the time I brought my sister's Flatsy doll to show and tell and got kind of beat up at recess. But Flatsy, Flatsy. <laughs> That was um, later on, though. You remember those times? How old were you? Probably eight. Well, that was um, like that would be like third or fourth grade. So yeah, you're older, and you're you're definitely remembering stuff then, because that was right before I went to fifth grade at Memorial School. That was Shepherdson. Let's your mother see. let your mother let you bring your sister's doll for show and tell. No, well, she didn't really let me. Um, no, I took it. It came in a little flat plastic house because everything was flat. It was a flat seat doll, flat purse, flat shoes, flat everything. I was obsessed with the damn thing. I bring it to, I show it to <laughs> class. I sit down, and one of our my kids I grew up with, Brian, was about a row, two rows behind me, and all through the rest of show and tell, I kept hearing flatsy. <laughs> and then I would hear recess, flatsy. And so the class emptied out when the bell rang, and I'm clutching that flatsy thing close to my chest, the little house, and the teacher's like, you got it, Mrs. Rattucci? She goes, you got to go out to recess. I'm like, no, I don't. No, yes, you do. And I went out, and... It was by the old oak tree. <laughs> Flatsy Did they take was, care of Flatsy? I was not injured. Flatsy was injured. So they, they took the, the little plastic house, put it on the ground, and jumped up and down. And it was shattered. I brought it home off the school bus, and I'm, like, really upset. And my mom, you know, she just kind of looked at me. She goes, why would you bring that? She goes, that's your sister's. <laughs> now, she didn't say it was a doll. She just said, this is your sister's. And she said, you should have, she said, when you do show and tell, you bring something that you have, not something of your sister's, which was a kind of a coded way of saying you don't bring a a Barbie doll to show and tell if you're, maybe nowadays you do. We're, we're treading into dangerous territory. We better move on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, happy birthday. Are you doing anything special for your birthday today? Uh, We're going to have dinner um, with, with Gary and um, no, nothing much uh, except later today an eye exam which uh, I haven't had one of those in about. Can you believe, how often do you get your eyes checked? You know, you're supposed to go every year or every other year. I haven't been in probably three, and I need to go. Guess, how many, guess how many it's been for me. I'm going to say five or six. Uh, add four, and you're close. <laughs> really? Because you had some sort of readers. You didn't like them, though. Last time I went was like 2010 or 11, and I got uh, mild reading glasses because I, I have a stigmatism. I guess one eye focuses right. differently. The glasses came, I put them on, I did not like what they did. They did keystoning. A lot of you listening will probably understand what I'm saying. Like you look at a a book or something and the bottom is smaller than the top. And I just stopped wearing them. I didn't use them. And I, you know, with Kindles and iPads, you could change point sizes, you could change your monitor. So I kind of skidded by for all these years until uh, probably three months ago, I noticed that the readers were actually very effective with the computer. So. Well, it's amazing to me that your eyes have lasted as long as they did, because mine went way before yours. But because uh, you could still read that little mouse type, I can't read any of that stuff. I, I'm lost. If I go to a store and I haven't brought readers or glasses, I've got to go to the to the counter and get a pair with the tag on and walk around so I can see what's going on, <laughs> and then put them back. Do you know who says that too? Is Greg? Um, you know, my, Greg is the same way. And when his went, they went fast. It wasn't a slow progression. He just went down to certain things. So seeing the doctor today, and then we have dinner and. Uh, yeah, so okay. it's a nice quiet birthday. Well, we'll celebrate when we're in person someday. So, uh, so in the meantime, happy birthday. We're going to take a uh, quick break. When we come back, we've got uh, Shop Talk, as John mentioned, and we're going to talk about some brands that are uh, changing their focus a little bit. So stay with us. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. Now, back to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Glamour today is nothing but a tight skirt, loose hips, and wet lips. An entertaining look at the world of business. Make it work. Make it work. Make it Make it. Make it work. Work. Hey, welcome back to The Focus Group. John Nash with Tim Bennett, and I chose that rejoin because Tim Gunn was one of my favorite guests. He's one of my favorite people in general. I just think he's such a cool guy and a great mentor. Focusgroupradio.com is the URL of our site, and that's where you're going to find everything out about us, including all our media is, here's my new favorite word, warehoused there. It's housed there, (laughs) including our Tuesday uh, podcast, which comes out on Tuesdays, and you can get any day of the week. It's unbuttoned. All right, so um, we had a couple of stories that Tim and I crossed on, uh, meaning that we both pulled them because we we sometimes do this separately and then combine our ideas later. And the first two are about Uncle Ben's and cream of wheat. And the Uncle Ben story, I, I suppose we had known about this for a while that there had been an intention to to change the um, the, the packaging, right? Right. So um, what happened here is uh, basically. They're going to be retiring what they call is the, uh, uh, I, I say, what's the, the mascot? Yeah. Or he, the, Im- the image. It, it's, yeah, I don't know the right word for something like this because it's an illustration. It reminds me of Aunt Jemima or like these putting people or these illustrated people on food for, for years. Well, um, they're changing the rice brand's name. So the name is changing as well. So it's going to go from um, Uncle Ben's to just... Ben's original, if I'm not mistaken, right? Correct. And and like, so they, they, it's just they, they want to eliminate any negativity or stereotyping or racial stereotyping around the packaging, which does feature a, uh, a black chef or an African-American chef or man who is Uncle Ben. And I think we, there's a lot of associations that are not positive with that. So this is something that's been in the works for a while, but I had not known that the name was going to change as well. Yeah, it dates so the the image they said date, dates back to the '40s, and they're going to change it to, as you mentioned, Ben's Ben's original. The the one thing I did laugh about, and I understand that when you're a large corporation, you have to make changes that things take time, but I did laugh here because it said while implementing an evolution on this scale will be complex, the process will take considerable time, but they're going to do it, and uh, you'll see this new brand identity sometime probably next year. It's a box. I mean. I, <laughs> I mean, obviously, they've got probably a bunch of Uncle Ben's boxes that are that are printed. But um, how difficult you're still going to put the same product in there. All you're doing is changing the name and taking the the uh, illustration off of uh, of who was known as, quote, Uncle Ben. I wondered why they thought this was going to be such a complex process. You bring up a great point. And Tim has often told the story and, and I'm just going to retell it where. If you're in a meeting at an auto company and um, a manufacturer and someone says, I want to change the, the button on this radio. Now you're looking at a five cent part that possibly takes two or three years to put into production because of all the different processes, right? Right. And the big thing with auto, particularly if somebody says, oh, let's change the key or let's do something like that. Different than obviously a box of rice. In the U.S., we have the strictest, and I'm glad we do, we have the strictest um, um, safety laws, yeah. safety, safety laws of any country in the world. So things have to be crash tested. So if you change a key, you change a button on something, 
the cars then need to go through certification and crash testing because they don't want anything to pierce anybody, hit anybody, cut anybody in case of case of bad accidents. So, yeah, that's I understand that if you just said, listen, we'll we'll do it when we're going to do changing and the cars go to get recertified again from yeah from the from NHTSA. But but a box is a box. A box of rice. It's a box is a box, and. Um, you know, Land Lakes when they removed the the um, Native American woman who used to be on the on the box, and we talked about that months ago. Within two weeks of you and I doing that story on uh, Focus Group, not that we had anything to do with it, but within two weeks of reading about it, every package I saw at the grocery store changed, and it's possibly right. because they moved through so much of that product that they were able to you know exhaust the old container supply and have the new ones ready. But I agree with you. This this is not something that should take more than, I don't know, a couple weeks. Right. It's not like they've got 20 years of, of Uncle Ben's boxes hanging around in, in print boxes. I mean, these things are, you know, first in, last out sort of thing, or first in, first out. The Along with this article, they mentioned Aunt Jemima's as well, and you've mentioned it, um, that they're also going to take that, the iconography of the woman, the, the black woman with the... Um, yeah, she looked the, like, you know, like um, uh, something from Gone with the Wind or something, right? Right. So they're going to change that packaging as well because they said it was based on a racial stereotype. And I totally understand that. What I found odd about this and my question in the margin here was, are you going to change the name? Yeah. So just taking off the woman's image. So you're still going to call it Aunt Jemima's, but you're just taking the picture off. And then you know where this led me to because cream of wheat's doing the same thing. And so what does this remind you of? I was going to see if you thought the same thing I did. I don't know. So this reminded me an awful lot of when you and I did our early work with oh. LGBTQ marketing mm. at Subaru, and you and I were constantly getting letters or or talked to about um, the de- the 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 um, depiction of people. So we would do an ad, and maybe it was two women, or we would do an ad with two men, and it would be like, "Where's the person of color? Where's the person in the wheelchair? People where's didn't the see person- themselves in the ad. Yeah, <clears throat> where's the transgender person? So you and I made the decision of no people. No, so and, we got and, rid of all people and all the advertising mm-hmm. after one or two years of going through this. And this reminds me of the same thing because I don't necessarily think maybe I'm wrong. Maybe uncle Ben's, um, you know, or uncle Ben's has a connotation of a, of a, a negative stereotype. I don't think the guy's picture, I, I'm not offended by the picture. No, of a, uncle he's ben. a smiling guy, but I think it, the whole implication <laughs> is that, that somehow that, that he's less than, or it's, it's a, a right. demeaning depiction. Um, now you mentioned, uh, cream of wheat, right? And that was the other one we were going to talk about here, which is they're also changing their packaging, um, to remove the chef, uh, which by the way, was an interesting thing to me. It says here, the 127 year old brand's decision follows a similar move from uncle Ben's, uh, according to cream of wheat, the black chef that has appeared on its packaging for over 100 years is based on Chicago master chef, Frank L. White. Due to backlash from consumers who found the depiction of white and the brand's original logo offensive, the brand announced today that the chef will be removed from all packaging. Per a statement by Cream of Wheat parent company B&G Foods, new packaging will be unveiled early next year. <clears throat> Again, with the early next year. Like, <laughs> like right. I guess they got, hey, I, I should uh, note that I remember once I had a friend who worked for Landor Communications. They were a big branding company, and he invited me in to see their test supermarket one day. So they had this entire row of a supermarket recreated in their offices that they brought um, 
people in to do research on, and they were testing a new color for Maxwell House coffee. So it was a row of blue packages that were subtly different from each one, and they would observe people and who went to the the blue that got the most attention became the new Maxwell House blue. We're talking about like a $2 million research project on this. I'm wondering if they're doing the same. The thing that got me about this was, you know, they, they depicted a, a master chef right. named, you know, Frank L. White. And I don't, is it, do they need to remove it or do they need to add something like, you know, this to, to, to say this guy was a master chef and he was well-known and well-liked and that's why we wanted to put him on the packaging. You know what I'm getting at? Is that maybe that's... I'm, no, no, I, you, you read my mind and I thought again, you know, is it, do we now get rid of Betty Crocker and all the other people that have, you know, the Gerber baby, you know, all the things where we use images of people on products and do we just get rid of all of them? Because now somebody will say, well, you know, Betty Crocker's uh, image, uh, because she's a white woman, it's different than than using um, the master chef. I don't know if it is different, but I suppose it is. If people feel, I guess, that it's it's a racial stereotype, um, so be it. But in this case, I don't think this cream of wheat was a racial stereotype, but I think it's caught up in the the whole um, discussion of let's not use uh, stereotype stereotypes and and old iconography to sell products. And as you were speaking, I just thought of something that would have crossed your desk had this been um, a brand you were working on. <clears throat> so let's say someone said, "Why don't we simply explain to the consumer that this depiction of the chef is actually based on this guy who was a, a loved master chef?" and he's being, you know, honored to be on the box somehow. I bet you would have pushed back and said, if you can do it in a word, great. But, you know, I, as I was saying it, think of how you would have to do a new image and text to actually circumvent the whole problem by saying, no, 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 don't, it's nothing offensive. This guy was really, he was known for, you know, he made the best cream of wheat in the world or whatever it was. Yeah. So I guess the it's easy... It's not worth doing. There it's you go. It's not worth doing. It's exactly what you said. You know, we had done a commercial with Martina Navratilova. And uh, it was a tennis commercial because she's a you know world-renowned tennis player. And in the commercial, um, she's hitting balls, and there's a ball that just misses one of the uh, the line judges. And the line judge was African American, so we cast an African American person in there. And while we thought we were going to get anti you know LGBT letters about using Martina in a commercial. We were inundated with letters that we made the black man look foolish. The line because judge. He missed, because he missed the ball. But he's a line judge. <clears throat> exactly. So if you knew anything about tennis, you knew he was a line judge, and, and what she was doing is hitting the ball and, and precision. So we ended up having to take commercial down because it ended up being, it just wasn't worth trying to explain to somebody that if you know tennis, and you know that there's a line judge. Line judge was there. It wasn't making fun of, a person of color it wasn't making fun of the black man. It wasn't any of that. He was a line judge and she was hitting tennis balls. So, but we had that with everything. You had the tree lobby, the snake lobby, the, this lobby, the, that lobby, the bunny lobby. And anytime you did anything. And that's why you and I, listen, when you and I decided to take people out of the, the LGBTQ, it all went away. Right. It all, went all away. the problems we went away. They only resurfaced actually on the very first time we did television advertising for uh, Subaru for the LGBT consumer on logo. And we premiered the ads at something called uh, out and equal. And at that time I was out in Denver and I had flown out with um, 
then the head of sales for Logo, a guy named Tom. And we premiered the ads and people were standing up. They were applauding, except uh, someone in the back raised their hand and very politely said, you know, I would I would like to know why um, trans individuals were not cast in these roles. And I didn't even know what to say because I hadn't prepared for it. And Tom just said, let me handle it. And he steps up to the mic. He goes, well, he goes, you know, we see what we want to see, perhaps that couple. He answered it beautifully, but um, again, it was one of those moments, gotcha, <laughs> right? Well, and that's the, you know, the great thing about the, the LGBTQ community is kind of the rainbow of, of people that are part of it. But that's also the, the double-edged sword because then you're not going to be able to depict every Everybody, single person yeah. as part of, part of the community. But as a, as a consumer, it's a great consumer to target. But if you're going to try to think you're going to satisfy everybody's, um, how everybody sees themselves and let them complete the circle, it's going to be a difficult thing to do. So, And I think we actually ended up with better work because we ended yeah. up having to do things with language that the consumer had to connect the dots, finish the circle. Yep. So it was better work. Um, our last piece here is uh, Wells Fargo CEO apologizes for saying the black talent pool is limited. So Charlie Scharf, who uh, has been in place as the CEO of Wells Fargo since the entire uh, mess they had with false accounts and all that stuff coming up, he was quoted as saying that um, it's very difficult to promote diversity in the bank because of a very limited pool of black talent to recruit from. He received immediate pushback on this, and um, later on restated it, saying that they have to do work, they have to work harder for diversity and and a whole bunch of things. But I'm just going to say this: I wonder if this was completely misinterpreted, because when you look at recruiting and you look at uh, where graduates are coming from, what programs they're studying, uh, what industries they want to go to you may actually have difficulty if you are if you are doing a uh, a diversity quota i want to call it or a racial quota you may actually have difficulty recruiting certain candidates for certain industries be, just because of the sheer fact that many people may not have studied or it, was that your takeaway i don't think the guy yeah i thought this was totally taken out of context because if you actually read what he said i thought he actually was smart about his about what he said i think the the sensational headline out of here is that he was saying that black people weren't qualified to work at Wells Fargo. That no. was your takeaway reading the reading the headline. That's not what he said. Um, he did say we need a more diverse representation on our operating committee, yep. which was referring to the top executives. But it, then he went on to say, well, it might sound like an excuse. The unfortunate reality is, is we have a very limited pool of black talent to recruit from, meaning to move up into the ranks. So he said our progress will not be straight line given the experience required in some of our roles. But I want, I ask you to judge our progress two years into my tenure rather than, rather than right now. So he said, we're going to try and we're going to work toward this. But in order to get somebody to move into a senior executive role, if you haven't nurtured the managers, and same with women, same with, with, with LGBTQ people, same with any diverse, diverse candidates, if you don't have managers on the front line that are in those positions to just say you're going to hire in people into the, into the top ranks is a disservice to everybody. So I understand what he's saying. I, we struggled with this at Subaru. I struggled with it at my small college in Ohio and trying to get more, uh, more diversity and inclusion and, and people are trying, but I, I think it's not going to happen overnight because exactly what you said, sometimes 
people might not even know about you. We used to say this at Subaru. There were 35 auto manufacturers. Mm -hmm. And if you were, if you were um, what would be considered a diverse candidate and you were an engineer or you were, you had a specialty in planning or design or something, you'd start with General Motors, Ford, Toyota, Chrysler, Mercedes. By the time you got down to Subaru. <laughs> you might have been hired. <laughs> right. Well, you know what I mean? So. It, 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 it became, it became this percentages game and it used to just drive me crazy because I would say, if you want to just play the percentage game, you're going to get yourself in trouble, but let's hire the best talented people that want to work here. And, um, and so I, I thought this was a little unfair to this, to this CEO, because I think he, I understood what he said. I think it was taken out of context. And, oh, but it's, um, to me, this is emblematic of everything nowadays. There is no desire to, to have a a finer conversation about something. And the conversation we're having now that we, we're simply saying, and this is just a fact, maybe maybe there is a limited number of individuals or candidates coming out of schools and programs. Maybe they're going to different organizations and by the time, it's exactly what you said. And yet everybody jumps on the, 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 the lead, right? Which is CEO right. says X, Y, Z, and then, they, and then he has to do all this communication work to walk it back. You almost wonder why they say anything at all. Well, that's the fear with a lot of this stuff. And that, that was always my, um, when I had the role within advertising and marketing as well as I, and we had lots, we, you know, Jesse Jackson used to come in every year and, and talk to us about diversity and getting a, a diverse dealer body and all these other issues. And we were very much behind that. The brand was very progressive. We had, um, senior executives that were females before other, other brands. Mm -hmm. We used diverse agencies we were the first to do LGBTQ marketing campaigns, supported a lot of same-sex uh, partner benefits events. I mean, there was lots of things that first. that the brand was doing, but in order to try to attack talent, when we're not in a Subaru was not in an area that had other automobile manufacturers. So if you're in LA and there's 12 automobile manufacturers within 10, 10 miles, it's easy to recruit automotive talent. Um, yeah, but that, and there's so, one other thing so, that you said that, that that's very important, and that's like if Jesse Jackson came in and said that the dealers need to be more diverse, that's right. not under your umbrella. If if anybody knows the auto industry, the cars are sold by independent individuals. They don't right. have to sell your car; they choose to. They they're aligned with the brand, but you don't you don't have any control over the dealerships hiring people, right? No, you don't have any control on that, yeah. but you do have control of where you place auto dealers and so forth. And the dealers are are in many cases a lot smarter about their market than the, than the manufacturer is. But what I used to try to say, and, and I would say to these things, and it was never a popular opinion, but I would say if there were a hundred people and you're talking, if I, so I did, if I did a hundred commercials and you want representation now, so of my hundred commercials, if you're Asian and you're 6% of the population, then there should only be six of them that feature an Asian person and 12 of them that feature African Americans and 14 that feature Hispanics. And then the rest will be white. So it's not going to be 50-50 if you want to play the percentage game, right? It's not going to be 50-50 if you're looking yeah. for percentages. And then it all falls apart. And that's why we said we talk to people for who they are. And if you're a mountain biker or you're a skier or you're a photographer or a gardener, I don't care if you're male, female, black, white, young, old, you're of that mindset. I'm not looking at demographics. And I think, you know, kudos to Subaru after all these years. I think that's part of their success is that uh, they talk to people for who they are. To, they're not playing the, now I need, now we need a commercial for women. Now we need a commercial for this. Now we need a commercial for that. 
How true, right? Anyway, I'm on, I'm on my soapbox. No, yeah, get off the soapbox. We're all done for the day. <laughs> so anyway, so hey, everybody, happy birthday. Thank you, uh, Mr. Mr. John thank you, Nash thank you. Today. And uh, thank all of you for joining us. You can uh, be sure to catch our Tuesday podcast on Tuesday. I like that now. That's our <laughs> new line, John. Um, find everything. All of our media is housed over at focusgroupradio.com. You can find our podcast there as well as all of our, our new and old shows. And uh, we're pretty much anywhere where you can download uh, media for free. So thank you for staying with us um, through all of these uh, kind of different and odd times. And uh, we will see you next week. Be sure to wear your mask, everybody. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group. <laughs> <laughs>